you know, diversity is such a hot topic sometimes. It's a hot word. We use it a lot. We overuse it a lot too. And I was in a conversation about diversity and leadership. And I asked a very naive question, Brooke. I said, do you see me as diverse? Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week, the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled, and why they're proud to be themselves. Ruth, welcome to Disabled and Proud. How are you today? I am excellent, Brooke. I am so excited and have been waiting for this conversation, so I'm excited to dig in. So am I. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I feel like you've literally just said we probably have some really similar lived experiences. So I'm really looking forward to delving into that. But also like there'll be differences too, which I always find really interesting. So I'm so looking forward to it. So first question that I ask absolutely every single guest is how do you refer to your disability? So I use both I use the word disability, mm-hmm. um, and I also call it a limb difference. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, there have been people, Brooke, who've told me it should be either or. I should either say it's a limb difference and not say it's a disability because they don't like that word. Mm-hmm. Or there are people within the disability community who've told me, you don't, you shouldn't refer to it as a limb difference, just talk about it as a disability because it takes away from uh, disability work. And I'm like... I actually say both. So I often will say I have a limb difference and I have a disability. See, I find that so interesting that people, particularly actually, particularly people in the disabled community would say, call it one or the other, because in in my mind, it doesn't matter because it's a disability. And if that's how you want to identify, then that's completely up to you, which is exactly why I ask it as the first question, because I think there's nothing worse than being identified wrongly particularly when we're talking about disability because it's so personal and it's so you know it's so individual to everyone it blows my mind that people would say that that actually like it's a limb difference or it's a disability it's not it's not both well I absolutely and I'll even add on that segment of people that you may have encountered who also say well, is it really a disability? You don't really have a disability. Yeah. And so there's that group of people that I just totally forgot about too, that won't even allow me to acknowledge that this is part of my identity. And it took me a long time to get there because I didn't see myself as having a disability because of the way that I was framing it and how I was defining it. Yeah. And that so that in itself is also really interesting because like, as I said, disability is so individual and, and a journey to accepting disability as well is incredibly individual, right? Like no two people have the same journey towards accepting their disability. And it doesn't matter if it's the same disability or not, that that there's always a different journey because we're all individual people. But for you, and this, this like ties in so nicely, it's almost like I plan these questions with precision. What was childhood like and the experience of childhood like for you with the disability? So up until the age of 13, mm-hmm. I didn't see myself as different. I saw myself, I mean, I, and I credit that to my parents, Brooke. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, I was born in the days before sonograms and before they could tell that something was different about me in utero. Yeah. And so when I came out to my parents as a baby, as you know, newborn, they were shocked Mm-hmm. Right. Like this was something that they hadn't expected. They hadn't anticipated, nor had the nurses or doctors because they hadn't necessarily 
known obviously what to do or what this was. Mm -hmm. And I was really lucky because there was a nurse in the hospital who saw my parents bewildered and struggling with this surprise and came over to them with me in her arms and said, you're going to take this little girl home. You're going to treat her as normal. You're going to love her like you would any other child. And Brooke, that's exactly what they did. Yeah. And what I think with the missed opportunity was talking about it Mm -hmm. because it was a difference. And it wasn't until I started a new high school and First of all, many of us have started new high schools. You go all, you know, you go in, you're nervous. Will I make friends? Will I be dressed the right way? Will I look the right way? Yeah. And we also know the feeling of when someone stares just a little bit too long at us. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to me heading to this new high school on that yellow school bus is someone got on and stared too long. And I immediately and impulsively broke tucked my little hand uh-huh. into my left pocket of my jeans. And I thought it was going to be just for that bus ride, but it turned out to be a lifelong journey of learning to accept my difference and my disability. It's amazing, isn't it, that you can literally pinpoint the moment where you realize that you were different. And I, I actually had this conversation earlier today, is that I don't really like fully remember a moment where I was like, I'm different. But I do remember thinking like, I have to back myself up with my choices because at some point I registered that I wasn't necessarily like everybody else. And I had to like be my own back. Whereas, you know, like teachers didn't necessarily have my back because they didn't know what to do with me. Adults had not a notion how to how to deal with me. Like the only other people that would have my back were my parents and and they're not always there, right? Like they're not, they're not, they're not with you at school. Like they're not with you on the day-to-day stuff. And it's so interesting that you can really like pinpoint that specific moment because it's usually that moment that does like something changes in us. And that's and that's when we have to start like unraveling as to why we do what we do. And that's fascinating. Well, and I think as a teenager and an adolescence, there's two things that are happening, right? One is we healthy, healthy development wise, we want to fit in with our peers. We want mm. to individuate from our parents, those same parents that aren't with us in school and that are, you know, watching us. We want to separate from them. That's healthy, mm-hmm. um, quote unquote. And the other piece is, as a society, we often focus on what is beauty. What does it look like to be beautiful? So we yeah. get a lot of messages about what beauty is. And I haven't often seen it include disability, right? Like, mm. or having one hand that wasn't, part of the message that I got that that was something that was beautiful or that fit in. And the other part that you're talking about broke too in what you just said is we have as people with disabilities, we have to figure things out a lot on our own. Mm-hmm. And we don't often share what it's like to have to figure out how am I going to tie my shoe? How am I going to put my hair back in a rubber band? How am I going to put on a necklace or get dressed with buttons like We've had to figure those things out and we often don't talk about those experiences. And so that lends itself to, well, maybe you don't really have a disability because you're not sharing it. You don't, nothing's wrong. Like you do everything. Well, I know, but I'm I'm constantly figuring it out or thinking two or three steps ahead. Yeah, that is interesting because I always say things like, for me, tying my shoes is second nature. I don't know how I do it. It's, you know, like 
asking me how I brush my teeth. I like it's a very simple process, but actually if I had to really describe it step by step, I wouldn't really be able to do it for you. And that's so true. We don't actually speak about how we have to think about these things maybe a couple of steps ahead because A, they can be so ingrained that we we don't know. Yeah. Like we don't know any different. But we, it's because we don't know any different that we realize they are different. Yeah. Well, when we stop to think about it or we're asked questions, right? Like somebody Mm -hmm. just recently asked me, they said, well, how do you actually put your hair up? And I'm like, oh, well, it's just easy. Like I do it like this, you know? And they said, oh, that, wow, you just do it so effortlessly. I mean, it's the same thing also. So Brooke, when I wrote my book and did my TEDx and I started to really unhide this part of myself that my hand that I had hidden for 25 years. Mm -hmm. My father's first question, he said, I've been wanting to ask you this question for a long time. Now, I went in and thought it was going to be some deep, really philosophical, like, used <laughs> to question. He said, how do you shave? I'm like, what? That is the million-dollar question that you've been waiting 50 years for? Yeah. Is shave? Like, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, and I think – because again, we've made things look so easy. I think there's sometimes, how do we allow for questions around disability? How do we allow for questions? So, because there are curiosity pieces that people sometimes feel like they can't ask us, or they never even cross our minds because to our points, we do it so effortlessly or so as part of our norm that I never even would have thought of, how do I shave? Like, yeah, I do it. It's just easy. Yeah. It's really interesting. I once had someone ask me the exact same question and I was like, I just don't really know what you're getting at. Like, what? It, I'm really confused by this question. And they were like, well, like, how how, how do you shave your oh, armpit? And right. I was like, right. I, I don't, I actually don't understand. A, like, why is that important to you? Right, I have no right. idea. But secondly, like, I also don't know how I do it. I just get in the shower and do it. I don't think about yeah. it. <laughs> right, like washing our hair, like doing anything. We just do it. And I think- you know, that's where, how do we, that's why I was really excited to talk to you specifically because it's like, how do we start to have those conversations so that it is okay for people to ask questions if it's coming out of, I think, kindness and support. Mm -hmm. Like, does the person want to know because they want to shave for me? Like, they want to help me? (laughs) I don't know. Um, But how do we allow it so that, and, and so that we can talk about some things that maybe we've never talked about? I do think it's, asking questions is always such an interesting one isn't it because Mm -hmm. you're right some questions come from like a genuine place of love and education and wanting to know and and not being ignorant and and there is a lot of fear of being ignorant around disability which is why a lot of people don't ask questions which I can completely understand because sometimes the people who do ask questions are the people who shouldn't be asking questions But I think as long as it's coming from like a place of genuine love, kindness and and curiosity, but not like a morbid curiosity, like actually just genuinely wanting to know about you and your person and 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 how can you best help this situation, then that's amazing. And I'm all for that. But it's the weird questions that I have a problem with. Totally. And, And yeah, no, it's definitely if it's coming out of kindness and support and I might even add are they willing to share something about themselves? Yeah. Also, right? Because it's not a one-way street, this conversation on disability or difference. It's mm-hmm. a conversation. Um, and so if you have a question, otherwise what happens, right? Brooke is people make assumptions then. Mm-hmm. People then, or they don't connect with us because they're afraid to ask. 
Um, and so how do we create that space so that people can feel like they can ask? And also, yeah, when is it appropriate and when is it, you know what? I'm fine answering any questions, but also respecting that people have boundaries around their disability yeah. and it's okay. I really like, it's a phrase that I use quite a lot is there's being ignorant for ignorance sake, but then there's also being ignorant because you don't know what you don't know. And there is a big difference between the two. And you can quite often tell if a question is being asked because you just don't know. Like you don't know what you don't know until someone shows you. And that is completely fine. But but somehow in today's society, we've assimilated with not knowing to being the worst thing in the world where you should know everything all of the time because we have Google and Google gives you all of the answers immediately. And actually that's not real life and, and that's not how disability works either. Right. Or chat GPT doesn't give us all the answers that we're looking for around my disability experience um, mm-hmm. or someone else's. And I, I think the other piece is too, to add on to that is we often with disability blur boundaries, right? So yeah. whether it's the question or whether it's the, reaching out. I mean, I don't know about you, Brooke, but, and it wasn't until I joined a group of other people with limb differences that Mm -hmm. I realized some of the things I had forgotten about, like the people who reach out and just grab my hand and offer to pray for it or offer to do something for it. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work like that. Um, And when did I give you permission to come in here Mm -hmm. (laughs) to this space? We think that happens with people with disabilities all the time. We think we're, quote unquote, being helpful. Again, that being helpful experience is something that so many disabled people, it's an experience that we all have because at some point a stranger has genuinely thought they're maybe being helpful and actually they are the biggest fucking hindrance possible because you have then got in my way of my process of how I do something. and, And just because I do it differently doesn't mean that it's wrong. I'm doing it because it's how I do it. And and just because that doesn't look right to you doesn't mean that it's wrong. Right. And it's funny, just yesterday, I was crossing a street in Manhattan, where I live, mm-hmm. in New York City. And two people were looking at this woman crossing, an elderly woman. I'm going to preface that because it's important to the story. <laughs> she was crossing this, the street And the timer on the countdown of the walk sign was getting lower. It was like eight, seven, six. And she wasn't even like a quarter into the crossing of the street. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, she's not going to make it. And she had, she was using a walker and two people were looking at her. And finally a man went over and he said, can I help you? And she started yelling at him. (laughs) So it's understanding that different people have boundaries. And to your point, she may know, like, this is how I cross the street. The woman who was also watching her said, I'm not so worried about her crossing the street. I'm worried that she has a shoelace that is untied yeah. and is crossing the street. And that's where I focused on. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even notice that. Like, I was just watching you two navigate this and thinking, yeah, how do we get her across the street with seven seconds, six seconds, five seconds left? Yeah. Um, but to your point she may have had her own way of getting like, this is what she does. She knows how to get it done. And we were being in her way, delaying her by stopping her and being like, can we help? Yeah. (laughs) Super interestingly, I always like to think about if our disabilities have impacted the career choices we've made. And I was wondering for you, did your disability impact the choices that you made when you were going to college and then progressing on from college? It's a really good question, Brooke. I think 
my immediate gut is yes. And I say that because there was a moment in my journey where I made a decision that I wouldn't quote unquote hide my disability Mm -hmm. in front of work people. And it's because of an experience I had of kind of being called out for my work that wasn't so great. Mm -hmm. And what I realized in choosing my career that I had for 25 years was I wanted to work with young people because young people, as we know, they ask, right? They'll be like, what's, what happened to your hand? And then they move on. Like they, you tell them this is the way I was born. We all have something that's different about us. And then they're kind of like, they forget about it and they get to themselves, like why they need services or why they want support or how we can help give them access and opportunity. And I absolutely, as I reflect on it, think that that's a huge piece of why I chose to work with youth for my entire career because they accept it. Mm -hmm. Um, they They could ask right away, get it out of the way, not stare, not, you know, say mean things. They asked and then they moved on and then they, it actually connected us. Yeah. I think where I now have shifted and and to use the COVID word of pivot, where (laughs) I pivoted is I was in a leadership position and we were talking about diversity and I, you know, diversity is such a hot topic sometimes. It's a hot word. We use it a lot. We overuse it a lot too. And I was in a conversation about diversity and leadership. And I asked a very naive question, Brooke. I said, do you see me as diverse? And I had done this 25 years of working with young people, providing them opportunities and access to education and careers. And when I got the question of challenging my diversity, And the answer back when I asked that question, do you see me as diverse, was, well, you're a woman. And I said, okay, yes, that's a gender lens, check. What about my disability? What about my limb difference? And the answer back to that, Brooke, was, oh, we don't see you like that. And I said, I'm not asking to be seen like anything. I'm asking for it to be acknowledged as Mm -hmm. part of this diversity conversation. And how come... I'm not hearing disability brought up in diversity. Yeah. And so it had me start to reach out to all of my corporate partners where I'd done a lot of fundraising to ask them. And I was angry at first about the reaction, right? Like we all might, many of us might be. But what I realized in that journey of reflection was I hadn't actually shared my story with anyone. I hadn't talked about my hiding of my hand, my hiding Mm -hmm. of my disability. And what the, how that impacted my career, how it impacted my life, my love life, all of those relationships. Yeah. And so I pivoted and I started speaking and about the idea of how do we expand diversity? How do we talk about it fully with full inclusion? And then this thing happened, Brooke, that was so unbelievable is while that resonated with a lot of people and they thanked me for including disability in the diversity conversation what resonated even more with people was this idea about hiding and mm-hmm. that so many of us are hiding parts of ourselves. How do we learn to unhide so that we build deeper connections with each other and with ourselves? Yeah. And that's where I'm, that's the journey I'm on now. And that has definitely been impacted because of my disability. Yeah. It's fascinating what you said about working with young people, because you, it's almost like you instinctively knew the question would be brought up and then it's 
like pretty much immediately dropped because realistically like does it matter no do they care no they're just curious they just want to know whereas had you gone into maybe like a more like an older corporate kind of area it would have been very very different and this process of unhiding I'd love to pick apart this a bit more because I really like I like the idea of unhiding in in terms of like what it stands for because I think you're right I think everybody at some point in time hides parts of themselves from different people for for like whatever reason and and sometimes that's safety and sometimes it's because they want to feel like nothing's different but this unhiding moment like the moment that you had where you're like shit I've been hiding how do you how do you then unhide like what does that process then look like yeah no and I think we also hide just to add on to what you were saying you know with that fear and the fear of judgment and rejection we also hide because we make others comfortable too Mm -hmm. like when we hide something that's different about us or our disability we make others comfortable so they don't have to deal with it, right? They don't have to talk about it. They don't have to ask the question. So if they don't think anything's different, they don't have to ask. And so that there's a piece of hiding that also has a benefit. We also get certainty and control about how we share out our ourselves. We have agency mm-hmm. when we hide. Unhiding, it absolutely starts the first, there's four steps in unhiding. And the first step is acknowledge it, right? You get mm-hmm. to that place that you realize something's holding you back that it's holding you back from connecting with others, that connecting with yourself, like it, you're not showing up as your full self or your best self. Mm-hmm. And so it's affecting you and impacting your relationships. It's impacting your work. It's impacting how you live your life and what risks you're willing to take and what how, the adventure that this life is, the joy that this life is. Mm-hmm. And so that first step is acknowledging it, raising awareness within yourself of, what am I hiding? What has made me feel different? Where have I not shared? And it's not, Brooke, just about disability. It often is. I mean, I've had people share with me <clears throat> financial situations, religion, family backgrounds. People are hiding all over the place. Mm-hmm. And disability is one of those things where we still have a lot of bias in, in society, right? Whether it's a visible disability like mine and yours, or whether it's a non-apparent disability, um, like mental health or neurodiversity. And so, of course, we're going to feel like we have to hide that part mm-hmm. because people won't accept us. They'll judge us, reject us. Yeah. And so that first step is acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. And, that, it and that can be really difficult because I think what you've touched on with bias is is a really key point because society, whether we like it or not, is filled <laughs> with unconscious bias. And like unconscious bias is by nature unconscious and you don't necessarily know that you're thinking of it until someone, effectively until someone points it out, which can actually sometimes be a bit of a slap in the face because you're like, no, I don't think like that. And then upon reflection, you're like, oh my goodness, I do. And and having that ability to accept something and, and look at your biases, unconscious and conscious is actually really difficult and it's not easy. Absolutely. And recognizing your privilege also. Like Mm -hmm. I recognize that I have a privilege in unhiding my disability because of where I am in my life and who I am. I also recognize there are certain groups that still today in 2024 can't unhide. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think about the trans community. I think about certain individuals in the Jewish community or, you know, that, that space, like they're still hiding because of fear, the fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is privilege in being able to unhide. And I'm, yeah. I recognize that fully or I think fully. 
Yeah, and I think that that's also a really, it's a really important one, isn't it? Privilege, particularly surrounding disability. I had this conversation with Mr. Warren Stapley, who is one of the most incredible men in the entire world. Like, I love him to pieces. And I think what he's, the way he speaks about disability is absolutely fascinating. But we were talking about privilege and disability and actually, like, privilege and disabilities are really, it's a really loaded and really complex thing to try and depict and and pull apart and and converse about mm-hmm. because yes disability by nature means that you are not privileged however within disability there are privileges so for example i am very aware that i am a white woman i am blonde i am five foot and a fluff and i have blue eyes so by like all for intents and purposes beauty standards i kind of fit the mold until you see my arm and then i don't so when it comes right. to disability am I more disabled or am I less disabled? And that in itself is a really complicated situation to be in because yes, I am disabled. And just because I don't use a wheelchair or my disability is visible doesn't mean that I'm more disabled than someone else, but it doesn't mean that I'm less disabled than someone else. And that conversation is also incredibly difficult and filled with so much nuance. And how do we get away from the hierarchy, Mm -hmm. right? Like how do we get away from the idea that you have to be like what, what disabled means, right? Like yes. how do we start to accept it as, as a group, right? Yeah. And that's where I think that person and the people who say to me, oh, well, don't call yourself limb different, call yourself disabled because there's strength in the conversation. Mm-hmm. There's strength in disability and rather than, oh, you're this, not this. And yet I still have an issue because I think there are certain groups who feel like they are they have the right to do both and but yet they judge those who don't yeah I know yeah I know exactly I know exactly what you're talking about because it's it's such it's like disability is so full of nuance and that's also something that I love because it's individual it's full of nuance which means that there's never going to be one right answer which is great because it means that I can waffle on like this forever and that's amazing And it's going to impact all of us at some point, right? Yeah. As we always say, like, it's going to be, you can have, be at birth, have a disability, you mm-hmm. can acquire one, or you can be taking care of somebody with a disability. And that it is something that will impact all of us. So rather than us getting caught up in the hierarchy of what counts and what doesn't count, how come we can't just talk about the, and I just heard this phrase, which I love, like, how come we can't identify a humanity practice around disability, right? Like what does it mean to be human with disability? And like, that's, what is the experience and what's the value? How do we value those experiences and perspectives? Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. Like humanity and disability. Oh, I think, I think I might use that. I like that. I borrowed it from, I was just on a panel before this and I heard it and it was from a man named John and I will get his last name for you, but it's really a beautiful perspective of a humanity perspective that allows for unhiding, yeah. right? That allows for us to be our best selves, that allows for us to share without judgment or rejection yeah. um, who we are. So, um, you, so yeah. you said there were four steps to unhiding and we've covered the first one, which is acceptance. What are steps two, three, and four? Yep. So it's about acknowledging it first. Mm-hmm. That's the space. Um, cause, and it's not, not even really about acceptance yet, Brooke, because you can't, acknowledging it only takes you part of the way to uh-huh. acceptance. Yeah. Um, the second step is finding your person, inviting someone in that you can share this discovery with. Somebody that you can say, you know what, this is what I've been hiding. Like somebody that you trust. And 
I imagine when I say that step, Brooke, most of your listeners and you will know that go-to person, right? Yeah. Like you have that person that you know you can count on that. Like if I shared something, my secret with you, you know that they're not going to judge you. And if you don't have that person, start looking for them because mm-hmm. they are out there. Um, it's what happened to me. I found someone who was able to show me how to love that part of myself, how to look. Brooke, I had hid my hand so deep in my pocket for 25 years that I had never actually looked at it or touched it. And I don't know about you, but I get frostbite every year because I neglected it. I didn't know how to love this part of myself because Mm -hmm. I hadn't done the work. And so inviting someone in was the only way I knew and found to actually start to love that part of myself that I deemed for so many years unlovable. Mm -hmm. So that's step two is invite someone in. Step three is build your community. Mm -hmm. Find those people with shared experiences that you can talk to like we're talking. And I'm sure we have even more offline to talk about, about (laughs) what it's like to have a limb difference, right? Mm -hmm. What's it like to have a disability? Um, And I remember the first time I went to an organization that I love, the Lucky Finn Project, they held a picnic. Mm -hmm. And I remember going and it was the first time that I, I didn't invent hiding. Like other people had done it too. I really, not in a narcissistic way, but like in a way that I thought I was the only one that was hiding. Mm -hmm. And so to find out that there were other people who had struggled or who had had challenges or who had successes that we could talk about it together was this cool thing. Yeah. And so building your community becomes a really important step. Um, And I think it's easier now than ever to find those supports and those groups because you can Google them. Like, and I know we said before, Google doesn't have all the answers, but what it can do is start you on a path to finding those with shared experiences um, and finding that cohort and that support. And then the fourth step, when you've acknowledged what it is you're hiding, you found your person that you started to share with, you built your community, is then the fourth step is sharing out your experience and your story so that it can help someone else. Mm -hmm. So they can see themselves through your eyes and say, oh, wait, I've been hiding. Or wait, I have a disability that I don't talk about. Or wait, I have financial challenges that I've never shared with anyone. Like It starts to give you that perspective. And it's interesting, Brooke, I was mentoring a young woman who came and told me, she's like, I went to this retreat with my staff and I told them about some neurodiversity challenges I was having. Mm -hmm. And I did it to kind of relieve anxiety from the team and I wanted them to get to know me. And she said, people thanked me after and it was great. She said, and one person came up after and said, I'm on my own journey with neurodiversity and you just shared with me what you've been through. I don't feel so alone. Like yeah. I, I'm not sure how to share it out, but I'm watching you. Like that's what the beauty of this journey of unhiding and sharing is, is that we start to then build connection and we don't feel so alone. And there is a loneliness epidemic right now. And so how do we create spaces, psychologically safe spaces where we can belong Yeah, and that connection? I really love what you said about you know, being able to, to share, to share your experience, but so that somebody else can benefit from it. Because I think Mm -hmm. that's what I really like to think that this podcast does is that if it's helped at least one person, then maybe like I've done my job, you know? 
and totally. it's it's so true being able to to listen to someone or speak to someone or have that conversation with someone who's had a similar lived experience whatever it may be is a really beautiful thing because you realize that you're not alone because quite often as disabled people we are very very often the only disabled person in the room unless it's a disability event and we're all there together <laughs> right right and then off and then that game of hierarchy sometimes comes in um and like who's the most disabled right and so the, and then you I don't know about you but like I've had experiences where people don't again just like that conversation I had where people quote unquote didn't see me as disabled um that language comes in and so how do we then you feel even more alone because you're like well now I can't share my experience because people don't see me in a certain way and they I have to then become either defensive and justify it or I just don't say anything yeah um and I think part of the acceptance process is also the idea of association, right? Is, is how do we, that's part of the acceptance of disability is how do I redefine disability in terms of the messages that I was given when I was a kid and probably still I'm getting. Yeah. Something that you touched upon earlier and I'd love to like divulge a bit more into is you touched upon beauty standards and how you didn't see disability when you were growing up. And it's something that you still don't really see too much of today. And I was wondering, what was that? How has that impacted this idea of unhiding? Because obviously, as women or female presenting, beauty standards are thrown in our faces twenty four seven. Like they're literally rammed down our throats. And what what's that been like for you as an experience to to suddenly have no representation to then trying to be the representation that you didn't get to see when you were younger? Yeah, I think. Um... There's absolutely a beauty standard. I think that is why I hid my hand. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be seen as quote unquote whole, right? I wanted to be seen as beautiful. I wanted to be seen. I mean, mm-hmm. Brooke, you described yourself before in many ways, like how I would describe myself, right? Mm-hmm. I'm blonde. I'm blue eyed. I'm white. Like I, I'm a little bit taller, it sounds like, but, <laughs> <laughs> like, but there's that, there is that, there's a standard, right? Of beauty. Mm-hmm. And yet when you're hiding part of yourself, you're not seeing yourself as whole. You're not seeing the beauty that your disability offers. Like Mm -hmm. the uniqueness, I don't want to be like everybody else now. Like that would be awful to be like a (laughs) cookie cutter out of somebody else. And the only representation I saw for a glimpse was when my father came home from the office and somebody had given him a tape of a newscaster named Bree Walker. And she had these wonderfully webbed hands. And I saw her on TV. She was married, Brooke, to this Mm -hmm. really super hunky guy. And I was like, for the first time, and I was a kid, I thought, oh, maybe I could get married to somebody that was attractive too, right? To me, Mm -hmm. like there was that idea because when we don't have representation, we don't know the possibilities. Mm -hmm. Um, It's why I did the work with young people for as long as I did, because if you're never taken in to a workplace or a corporation and shown different jobs and different atmospheres and you're not, you don't have exposure to that, then you don't know that world exists. It's the same with beauty. If we don't show, and it's why I so admire British Vogue Mm -hmm. because they took the first step when, when anyone else could have done it, you know? And I think British, I think about British Vogue. I think about Tommy Hilfiger. I think about some of the people who early on understood that disability was beautiful. How do we start to redefine it? 
Yeah, I think that is so, it's so powerful, isn't it? And and actually what you said about seeing someone who is disabled married, there seems to be, particularly, I have had this conversation many a time, so I feel like I get to say this, so this is my experience, but yes. quite a lot of particularly women who are born disabled and don't get any representation, whether it be in media, whether it be beauty standards, wherever it is, don't get to see themselves at that point in their life where they're walking down the aisle in the white dress like you're not the first woman that has said something very very similar to that to me and I've, I've heard this conversation and and I think that's really important because it just acknowledges that that representation was not there and to a certain extent it's still not necessarily there don't get me wrong it is getting a lot better but when you think about when I was growing up I never saw someone who looked like me in like a tv show or I never no. saw someone like me who was like a romantic love interest in, in any show. And if they yeah. were, it was like this massive thing. Oh my God, this guy is attracted to this disabled right. girl. And that's a massive right. deal. And and actually, no wonder it can be quite a minefield to try and navigate relationships when that, re- that representation isn't there. And when that message is playing over and over in your head because you filled in the blanks of where it was missing, right? Mm -hmm. We fill in the idea that, oh, well, it's not attractive to have a disability. Oh, it's not attractive. Like that's the message because when we don't see it, we fill in the blanks of what that means then. And that's super hard. And it's still, by the way, I think the beauty of unhiding is that it's a journey. There are Mm -hmm. still times, Brooke, that I I struggle with the idea of beauty and my disability. Um, And like, will someone accept me for it? And without feeling like I have to settle for somebody that I'm not attracted to, like, how do we create that space too, to be like, A, it's about itself. And that it goes back to self-acceptance. It Mm -hmm. goes back to that greatest need of all of us to accept ourselves. Like, and that's what then allows and brings in somebody who will also accept this yeah because I want someone on the same playing field (laughs) yeah for for sure it's it's really important interestingly I like to think that if we look back on any hardship in our life and we can pick out a particular positive trait about ourselves then we've learned something through that hardship And I was wondering, is there any particular trait that you have found within yourself that you're really proud of on reflection? I think it is that in that that's such a good question, because there's a few things that are popping in my head. My first was my hand, right? Like, because I think that gift that I was given that I didn't always see as a gift, Mm -hmm. I think is my greatest gift. Um, And that's because it's allowed me to be introspective. It's allowed me to kind of weed out some people who probably weren't weren't good people, right? Because uh-huh. if you have a problem with disability, this is a natural weeder outer. Like it Yes, it, it is. It's like an instant bullshit detector. Right, totally. And it also allows for self-love because you have to get to that place that you love that part of yourself to allow someone else in in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think my hand is my was my has been my greatest struggle. And it's my greatest gift because it also, what I can tell you is nobody forgets me now when I'm not hiding, (laughs) right? Like I'm never there. I mean, whether it's, they refer to me as, oh yeah, she has one hand. Fine. I'm not forgettable. And in the work that I do as a professional speaker and an author, I don't want to be forgettable. Like I want people to remember what I'm talking about. 
And the second, I think, is it also allows me to, yeah, just connect with people because we're all dealing with something. Mm -hmm. And so if I can use this as a tool in to get people talking about what it is that they're hiding or where they feel shame or where they have felt different, then that's the gift. That's why I was put here. That's Mm -hmm. my passion. Yeah. Actually, I think that that's a really, that's a really great answer to that question because a lot of people tend to go, it's my resilience, which is great because all disabled people naturally are resilient regardless because you've had so many doors slammed in your face like very naturally that you either get over it or you don't. And if you don't get over it, then then that's a problem. And that's where, you know, a lot of other problems come in. But actually to, to recognize, you know, what could be quote unquote seen as weakness as strength is like a really beautiful and also incredibly vulnerable place to come from. And actually we grow from vulnerability. We don't grow from, from not being vulnerable. Totally. No, it's, I really believe that. I mean, I think Brene Brown opened us up in so many ways and so did Glennon Doyle. And I think Mm -hmm. what I offer as a next step is, so what's the process? Like, how do we, how do we get to vulnerability? Mm -hmm. And do we do that through unhiding? And I think hiding for me is the problem and it affects us in so many ways. And then unhiding becomes the bridge to connection, to self-acceptance, to leadership, to all of those spaces that we're, we're all craving. Yeah. I love, I actually love that. Is there a piece of advice that you would give a younger version of yourself? Yeah. It's why I wrote the book because Mm -hmm. I thought about my, I wrote single-handedly for my 12 year old self who I felt like could have really benefited from a book that talked about the not so great part sometimes of wanting to hide. And so I think about the younger version of myself And I often think, don't worry so much. Like, it's going to be okay. Like, just keep moving forward. Like, don't worry so much. It's going to work out. But just you're going to have to work at it. Like, it's not (laughs) not always going to be easy. But the people who count are the people who are going to be there. Like, and with you. I love that so much. Just like keep moving forward. Like, it's not necessarily the easiest thing, but you've got to keep moving forward. Because if you don't, then you stay stuck. And you stay stuck. And I think, you know, whether that's disability acceptance and disability pride, like Mm -hmm. what we're talking about here, whether it's a breakup and that piece of advice came from a really good friend, Brooke, who I was going through a breakup several years ago. And she's like, I don't really care about him. I care about you and you need to keep moving forward. And I'm like, wow, if I had had that as a little kid, like a teenager, Mm -hmm. a 20 year old, a 30 year old, like that advice of just keep moving forward is a mantra. And I actually have a post-it on my computer that is so tattered. I'm looking at it right now. It's so tattered and worn. (laughs) That's one of the post-its I have on my computer. Keep moving forward. And the other is my story needs to be told. And I think that's the other piece of advice I would share with your listeners is Mm -hmm. your story needs to be told. Yeah. Because it will help someone else. Yeah. For like, exactly that I think there's so much value in storytelling I mean I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think that so (laughs) this is why I'm here (laughs) it's it's your passion project right it's the and it's your gift that's the gift um and we all like how do we when we finally find our gifts and it doesn't mean that's the end of the gift like right because there's so many other things Mm -hmm. that you're going to continue to build out but it's the gift of 
this opportunity to share my story. So thank you. Yeah. I love that you have keep moving forward on your laptop because I think, and I also love that it came from like breakup advice because I think there are so many times where actually breakup advice can be used for real life. And that is like, <laughs> that is one That's of them. Just really like, like, just keep, just keep moving forward. Like it doesn't matter. Like you, you still have to get showered. Like you might be really sad right now, but your body will thank you if you go for a shower. <laughs> And everybody else will thank you too because you need to shower. No, I think that is that I don't, it's not my second book, but there's definitely a dating book in me. And I feel like that's a great one of like, yeah, well, we got to write this book, bro. Like, uh, <laughs> as real life. Like, my yeah. dating stories are fun. To be fair, I've never really had a bad date. I, I always think dates are like they're good fun, but. I think dating well, I and share. disability is a very, very interesting topic. And what I have come to learn is that men dating with a disability is incredibly, incredibly different to women with a disability mm. and dating because the two are not the same at all. And I have like my own theories as to why, but they are completely two separate beasts. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I think you know, it's funny. I also think about the people who quote unquote date people with disabilities. Like what, what's, what's special about them? Like, how did they, how did they understand disability in a very different way? Right. Because I think that's the disability pride part that I would love to infuse in everyone. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's so interesting actually. Cause I think I, I have always dated really strong characters, like I date men I date really strong characters and actually like it's so true all of them have always been like yeah it is what it is like move on and I'm like okay cool yeah no and it's funny when I was writing my book someone said because I talk about this person my person who helped me with this love Mm -hmm. and self-acceptance and they're like I just want to know what made him what made him him like Mm -hmm. how did he get to that place of like self-acceptance and and his journey. And I think I often say like when you're finding that person, think about and journal exercises for yourself of, are they a good listener, right? I would want someone who's a good listener. I would want someone who asks me questions Mm -hmm. and who also, to your point, kind of is like, keep moving forward, right? And and it calls us out on our BS too. And is like, all right, you're wallowing in this. Why? Like what's happening here? Um, and I think we could even add to that go-to person list, but those are things to think about. Like when you're thinking about finding that person, cause it's allowing for quite, like, I don't know about you, Brooke, and this is probably way off topic. So I'm going to make it short, but like <laughs> with dating, cause it could be a whole nother conversation. But I think sometimes with disability, we don't allow for the questions. Like I know when I was unhiding to somebody and I would just blurt it out. I'd say I was born with the left, missing my left hand and that's it. I didn't allow for questions or because it isn't everybody's experience. I mean, some people have never met somebody with one hand, Mm -hmm. like or missing part of their left hand. So what, why not be able to ask a question to me if you're wanting to build a relationship with me and I should, how do I create space for that? So I've learned how to create space for it. So it doesn't feel so black and white. Like, oh, here it is. This is me. Except me or not. Okay. Well, do you have questions about it? Like, I'm just wondering, like, oh, that's so interesting. Cause I am very much like, I'm disabled. It is what it is. Like it or lump it. See you later. If you don't, not my problem. It's yours. (laughs) 
I I have that too. I literally just wrote a text to somebody about it because I was like, I'm not dating anymore without them knowing. Like, I don't care. I'm just done with all mm-hmm. of that. And what I also realized is it's, I would want to know if somebody told me that, you know, they, I don't know, they lost a parent at a young age. I'd want to be able to ask questions about it. Or if their family member had addiction issues, I'd want to be able to ask about it. Or if they had, if they graduated summa cum laude from, you know, some top university, I'd want to be able to ask about it. So how do we create space so people can ask us about our journeys, not in a pity way, not in no. an inspirational way, but in a way that actually gets to know us because they're curious about us, us. Yeah. And I actually think what you said right there about it not being from pity and it not being from inspiration is incredibly important because, and I, again, have this conversation quite a lot is that particularly in the UK and the UK media, it's very much you're either a benefit scrounger and you're down and out and you're disabled or you're a para-Olympian and you're an absolute hero and you are a quote-unquote good disabled person. There isn't really much scope for the in-between and and where do we go for that representation of the in-between? That like You could be a high-flying businesswoman or man or person and you could be disabled. That, that story is never really told. So actually to see someone who might be like on a dating app or out dating or whatever. And they're just like, and I don't want to be derogatory, but like you're a bog standard disabled person that is going to, you're automatically going to get questions because it's like, Oh, are you a Paralympian? Are you training for the Paralympics? Cause that's all you've, that's all you're or, exposed to. Or am I going to have to take care of you because you can't do anything? Yeah. Like, right? am I going to become a carer? Yeah. And I think it's, it is because of representation. I think to your, and what we talked about a little bit before is, representation has come some way. Mm-hmm. We still have a lot of way to do it. So I'm glad that there are people who are willing, who are maybe in celebrity roles or in media roles that have been able to kind of push the envelope a little bit in mm-hmm. terms of how we start to normalize quote unquote disability. And to what you just said, how do we tell some of those other stories that actually are where I can relate to it? And that's why my hand is my gift is because mm-hmm. I don't use this as um oh, everyone who has a disability is going to understand my journey because I speak for everyone. No, I speak for myself. But the universal is that we're all hiding something mm-hmm. and it keeps us from connection. And so how do we, yeah, how do, how does Brene Brown say, wow, I want to hear about that? Or how does like, you know, how does media say, wow, here's somebody, I'm not trying to make her an idol and I'm not trying to make her, those tropes that we've had for our history of disability. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to do that with her. I'm trying to hear her story because it actually relates to any of us. Yeah. So I like to talk about the weird questions that we get as disabled people and particularly women get quite a lot of bizarre questions when it comes to their disabilities. And I was mm-hmm. wondering, are there a particular set of questions that quite often pop up for you? Um, so it's interesting in the beginning of my book, Brooke, you'll see, I have a list of those questions, which, um, (laughs) is, I mean, I think the most bizarre was a year ago, no, a couple of two years ago and somebody across a parking lot, across a parking lot, crowded parking lot yelled to me, did you cut that off yourself? Oh my God. why would I do that? Like, I just, I'm just curious, like, why would I do that? And I think that speaks to, sometimes it's not even the questions that bother me. It's the sad look when I say, oh, I was born with a disability. Mm-hmm. People go, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, no, it's my gift. 
And it's also, not to be crass, but it's it's my the way that I make a living. Like mm. it's part of my life now. Like it is, it's been part of my life my whole life, but it's part of how I connect to the world. So no, I'm grateful for it. Like I wouldn't change it. Um, I think so the pity questions, like the or the pity phrases after someone asks, Oh, what happened? Yeah. Like, yeah, I we could get rid of those. I could be good getting rid of those. You also earlier in this conversation brought up people praying for for you which is something that quite quite a lot of people experience right and that, like I was wondering so when I when that experience happens for me I actually then I, I feel very inherently ugh, like that's the only word that I can use to describe it and I, and what's that experience like for you as well yeah I have reframed it in my head as I say I really welcome your prayers. They're not going to do anything for the growth of this, if that's what you're praying for. But I accept all prayers because Mm -hmm. there are things in my life that I want to manifest. And so if this helps from the outside, like, (laughs) great. Like if you're, you have a connection to a higher power that I don't have right now, like help me because I am, I want, I want to find my person. I want to build this, this unhiding Institute. Like there are things that I want to do that. Yeah. Extra prayers can't hurt, but (laughs) It's not going to, and I, I educate, I'm like, it's not going to help it grow. Like, it's just not. That's not how science works, but thank you. <laughs> right. And that, that's a whole nother debate too, is science and religion that we could get into for a whole nother session. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot to talk about, bro. <laughs> I actually only have one final question for you today, but I feel like this conversation could go on for ages and ages. And I think we're probably going to have to do a part two because I think this has been such a fun conversation to have. And we'll really dig into the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But my final, co- my final question for you is, are you disabled and proud? Absolutely. I don't even have a hesitancy on that. I think disability is part of my identity. Mm-hmm. It's part of my pride because it's part. It, when somebody said to me recently, they said, um, you know, I don't like the word disability and I've heard all of that language. And I said, when you say that, it takes away from my identity. It takes away from part of who I am and it takes away from community. Like with being part of the disabled community has given me a space where I feel accepted and I don't have to justify all the things that Brooke, we have to justify over time with disability. Mm-hmm. It's like a, you get almost like a hall pass. Like you get to be in it and, and you get to be accepted. Yeah. And even with all the nuances there, there's like part of my identity is disability. And it took me a while to get there, mm-hmm. but now that I'm in, yeah, it's a, it's part of who I am. Yeah. Like, and those that say no, I'm like, it's not part of your identity then. You don't have to own it, but it is part of mine. Yeah. And I, I ask you to respect that. Yeah. I love that. I ask you to respect my decisions. I think that's just a really important phrase for everybody to be able to say. I have genuinely loved this conversation. I think it's been so fun. And I want to really thank you for taking time out of your day to talk to me about unhiding and the process and your book. I have genuinely loved this. So thank you for coming on the podcast. No, thank you for making space for this too, this conversation. And I think it's probably one of many that we'll have together because I think your audience deserves to hear the a different side of disability. Um, and the pride part is a big piece of it, Brooke. So thank you for creating that space for us to share stories. Amazing. Thank you so much. 
Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for your enthusiasm. <laughs> Love it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disabled and Proud. If you've enjoyed the show, then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. It really helps us to reach more and more people each week. Plus, if you've got a particular highlight, then I'd absolutely love to hear it. Tag me on your Insta stories at Disabled and Proud Podcast.